The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning. We have brother and sister churches that cannot unite because they cannot agree to disagree. They believe their way is the only way. I pray these churches realize that this disunity is crippling the church as a whole. This divide between churches is a reason some people are pushed away from the Christian faith. When churches fight, bicker, and argue with each other, they provide no incentive for the unchurched to become churched. Why would anyone want to join a team that fights amongst themselves, guys? You know, in football, you have free agents. Some of y'all don't know what that is, but it's a guy that got drafted by a team. He had a five-year contract. End of his contract, he decides not to sign with that team. So now he's going to go be a free agent, and he's going to go and shop the market. He's going to look around and find a team that, that fits his skills, or he's going to find a team that he likes the coach, he likes the players. But I promise you, they're not going to a team that's not united. They're going to go to a team that they feel they can win at. We need to be thinking about that as a church. We need to be thinking about the visitors that walk through those doors. They're free agents. They're looking for a unified church that they can get involved in and they can be a part of that team. We need to Joshua, it may be a day late, but we're never a dollar short, right? I'm a lot of I mean, dollars that, short. You're a lot of dollars short? I yeah, guess. dude, after Christmas and then my wife's birthday is like uh, this coming Monday. And uh, yeah, I'm a bunch of dollars short. I, I, <laughs> I can relate to that. It's the middle of duck season. So yeah. I know a lot of people that are a lot of dollars short. So but anyway, man, it is, it's good to be back. Like I said, we're a little bit later than normal on this, uh, but, you know, we get guys in and out of here rolling and people get COVID and then other people get – it's just, man, it's, it's that time of year. We love it. We all three yep. sound a little bit off uh, than normal, but uh, I say that all three of us. Sean, Sean hasn't spoken yet, so nobody has a barometer of what he's supposed to sound like anyway. <laughs> uh, but, guys, welcome back. This is your content warning podcast, the Bobby's Culture Podcast. We break down biblical content versus – Modern Theology, and we have a really interesting video. Before we get to that, though, I do want to introduce our guest today, Joshua, Sean Rawl, uh, the, the the king of Colby himself. I say that. I'm just joking. But this is Sean. Uh, Sean started here at Troy back in May, right? Was it May? June. March? June. June. Okay, yeah. Beginning of June. Yeah, first, first Sunday in June. Uh, Sean is the, uh, the youth and family minister here at Troy. Uh, and so, dude, thanks you so much for being on. I know you're just getting over being sick too, so I really appreciate you being on today. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that actually has to work for a living, Joshua. So like he's doing this for a couple of days, and then he's actually got to he's got to work by taking a group of kids to the beach this weekend. Uh, so you know that's that's exciting. Sounds horrible for him, I guess. I know, right? It's the worst possible thing that you could imagine. Um, but Sean, thank you for uh, for for taking some time to be on here with us. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it and glad to be here. All right. So 
fun video today. Uh, I'm kind of excited about this. It, it's a video that, that it's a little bit different than maybe some stuff that we've touched on before, Joshua, because the guy that we're talking about today, he, he just makes uh, some some claims, uh, and, and there's not really anything in particular that we're trying to pick apart, right? Like, you know, there are some guys that, are, you know, videos that we've done in the past, we've got uh, guys that have accused the God of the Bible to actually be Satan. We've got guys who have talked about specific instances of religious trauma. Uh, but this guy really is just kind of preaching, uh, right? He's just kind of preaching, and he makes some some statements that when you're watching it maybe passively, he says some things that you kind of like nod your head at, and you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then if you go back and kind of think about it and really break down what he's saying, maybe there's some question marks there that, that we could possibly address, right? What, what were your thoughts about it when you first saw it? Yeah, well, I I thought it was a good I thought it was a good springboard into a discussion, um, particularly with the idea of visitors when they come to our congregations. What are they looking for? And I mean, I've been a visitor several times in my life, as we all have, and you can mm-hmm. tell a congregation that is not unified and a congregation that is. And sure. I do think that the issue of unity within the local body of a congregation is a huge issue. We can talk about being unified as several different congregations together in the whole body of Christ, but um, unity in the congregation is a huge issue. That is uh, what every letter of Paul talks about. Every single letter Paul writes has to do with the issue of unity. And of course, mm-hmm. there's other doctrinal and theological problems there too, but those doctrinal and theological problems cause and that's that's the big issue. So yeah. uh, I did think that it was a really interesting way to put it, uh, an interesting way to kind of introduce the the issue. And I'm uh, curious to see what you guys think. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was, um, you know, any time we're looking at a little snippet of something like that, it's kind of like we're um, – eavesdropping on someone you know um so it's kind of difficult to say exactly what he was getting at there but i think you know i mean there's definitely a couple different areas you can you could apply or misapply that to i guess um i mean you've got like you said joshua about um, matters that are important more theological doctrinal issues that you know obviously we should you know try to try to teach what is correct there and then you've got you know more matters of opinion that you know he's right we shouldn't divide over those things um i, I thought it was also kind of interesting that um you know if you guys noticed in the background of his of that video they had a banner that said um something about teach truth um and and if we are if we're teaching truth at the end of the day there's going to be people that, that disagree with that um, and I, so I think it kind of gets to a question of how we teach. Um, you know, we don't want to be too abrasive with it, obviously, that we're going to um, turn people away. But at the end of the day, you know, we still have to teach the truth on, um, you know, on, on matters of doctrine and things like that. So, Yeah. Um, so the, the way that this video kind of, in my opinion, lent itself to be broken down is I think there's there's really uh, – I think there's two major halves to it. And so I want to address the first thing first because he makes a good point, right? Uh, He makes a point about how there are uh, churches, Christians, uh, you know, the body of Christ as a whole, where we seem to be venturing into this realm of we have this inability to agree to disagree. 
right? And so I guess the question becomes, should we at times just agree to disagree? Uh, and I think that culture has a lot to say about this because I actually made the comment uh, this past week in, in the Bible class that I was teaching. I think we've actually, I think for so long, uh, this is just what I've, I've witnessed over my lifetime, right? So I think for so long, the church was so adamantly opposed to or, 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 or pushed to, you know, why can't we just agree to disagree? And now culture has shifted even further away saying that, you know, I think that, so let me, let me see if I can phrase this correctly. I think for a long period of time, the church begged its members to agree to disagree because we were causing issues with each other over things that didn't matter. And I think culture has swung in such a way that that now instead of, hey, why can't we just agree to disagree? We've gotten even further away from that. And culture says we can't agree to disagree. You have to agree with me or you're wrong. Does that make sense? Uh, and maybe I'm off. Maybe maybe I'm off kilter there. Maybe that's just something that maybe I, I've I've had in my life that nobody else has kind of experienced. Um, but I, I think the question lends itself to being, you know, should Christians just agree to disagree? Well, who wants th- this isn't this isn't a new conversation. Um, the question of what do we have to agree on in order to be in order to fellowship one another as members of the body of Christ dates sure. back to the second century. Uh, Tertullian, among others, uh, all the way up to Augustine, um, they all dealt with that issue, and they called it the rule of faith. Um, the, the rule of faith is basically, here's the list of things you must believe and do in order to be considered a Christian. And so it starts with, you have to believe that in God, you have to believe God created the world, you have to believe in, that Jesus is God in the flesh and died for the sins of humanity and rose again. You have to believe that the Holy Spirit is uh, active and present in the lives of the believer uh, to varying degrees. You have to believe one of the things that I found interesting when I was studying this was uh, baptism was always viewed as essential. The The method and the, the mode of baptism, like whether you pour or dunk or what, what kind of water you use and things like that, that varies throughout history, but baptism as such is always viewed as essential. So those things, among others, will tell you whether or not you should fellowship someone or not, uh, whether or not there's unity to be had there. I think, though, to your point, Nathan, see, I found the opposite, where, where right. like you said, um, it's, it's that now it's you must agree with me or you're wrong. Sure. And I, I think what I find most often, especially from our denominational friends, is it's not even agree to disagree. It's a a postmodern view of theology, which says, I'll have my view and you have your view. And as long as we're not hurting anyone and as long as we love Jesus, then it doesn't matter. But it it goes back to Sean's point, uh, like to that sign that they had behind uh, the the pulpit area in the video, if you're going to teach truth, truth by nature has to be objective. And so if truth is objective, there has to be something that's right and something that's wrong. And either you're doing right or you're doing wrong. You're teaching right or you're teaching wrong. And so I I do think that in an attempt to not make enemies with our friends and our family, we kind of agree to disagree on matters that shouldn't 
be so easily dismissed. And I also think, and I'll end with this, I also think we are afraid to sit down and think and have legitimate intellectual conversations about some serious issues. Oh, 100 percent. Um, and I guess so I, I agree with you to an extent. right? I think that that's definitely the case within um, what I'll refer to as the religious to religious perspective. Um, I guess where I was coming from was more of what I'll refer to as the religious to secular perspective, um, where when you get into the realm of religious and, and conversations with those who are non-religious, um, there's not an agree to disagree there's more of a, no, you have to agree with me or you're wrong. Uh, and I think that goes both ways. Um, you know, I think that there's a, I think there's a tendency to do that on, from, from both perspectives, but I do agree with you uh, very wholeheartedly that I, I think that we've lulled ourselves into a life of ease in the sense that it's easier for, for me to, to have a conversation with you um, and, and say, you know, well, as long as we're both, trying to live our life in the way that that maybe Jesus wants us to live our life, all the rest of the stuff doesn't really matter. Um, the the where's and the how's and the who's, maybe that stuff's unimportant. As long as we both acknowledge Jesus is real, uh, Jesus is our Savior, uh, we can kind of go about finding him however we see fit. I, I do agree with you. I think it's easier for us to do that than to sit down and try to have a conversation with somebody about, okay, well, why exactly do you maybe worship Jesus the way that you worship. What is your motivation for following Jesus? Uh, and I think those are harder conversations to have. And I think that there's a lot of reasons behind that. I think that uh, the, 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 I think the broader the gap between the religious and the secular becomes, the more you see that within the religious community is, well, we can't fight amongst ourselves because we're too busy trying to fight the, the, the non-churched or whoever, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk to in, in our, in our second kind of topic about this on how we view uh, those that we might need the, the way the Bible or the Bible, the way that the video referred to it was as the unchurched. Right. Um, so I think that there's a, a fear there. But I also think that there are times where, uh, I mean, the more we go on, it feels as though and this is my opinion. It feels as though that more and more and more people are being presented a more and more watered down version of the gospel. Uh, and therefore, we don't know how to have those conversations uh, with, with people. Uh, and so I think that there's there's layers uh, to that. But, uh, but anyway, but I don't, Sean, did you have any thoughts? I didn't want to take any time away from Sean. I just, no, no, you're good. Um, I, I really like some of the things you said there, Joshua. Um, you know, I think it's, it's really important that, uh, um, you know, with, with some of those, those matters that, um, you know, are, it, we kind of look at them as important and unimportant. And I think that's kind of where, we can tend to go wrong at times or that can lead to, to going wrong at times. Um, you know, if we say, well, this, this matter's not important by whose standard are, are we saying that, you know, um, we've always got to come back to, to the ultimate <clears throat> standard to, to God's standard. Um, if God is, has legislated on something, if he has, has made laws about it um, or, or, or talked about, you know, do this, don't do that, I guess might be a better way of thinking about it, then, then that's a, a matter of importance. Um, you know, if, if he hasn't really said anything on it or if he's talked about it but hasn't really said one way or another, um, th then that's that's less important. Um, and I think kind of the, the trap we get into sometimes is as a society, we've said, okay, well, these things are very important. 
these things are less important. And, you know, we do that with, with sin all the time. We say, okay, these are the big sins. Okay. Don't kill someone. Don't, you know, don't steal from someone. Don't do something like that. Those are the big ones. These are the smaller ones. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if it's sin, it's sin. Um, and if, if we are not doing what God expects us to do, we're not doing what God expects us to do. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think you bring a really good point there, Sean, um, because I think what you see a lot of times today, and I think maybe this is the point, because again, you, you made the comment that when you watch these, you know, TikTok videos or, or shorts or reels or whatever, you, you get a snippet, you know, out of the, the major context. Um, but I think one of the points he was trying to make is, is when you look at disunity within the church, there's, there's this butting of heads that, that doesn't need to happen. Um, and to some extent, it doesn't need to happen. To some extent, maybe it does. Uh, you know, it just depends on each individual situation. But the, the point, the, the thing that I, I like that you said was, um, I think the, the biggest thing that we argue about um, can all go back to is, is what is the standard, right? Um, and, and I think that's the big thing, because even when... Um, Sean, you might remember this. I don't want to sound like an old old guy, but uh, I remember when I was growing up in in the youth group at church, uh, and, and Josh, you probably remember this too. I remember one of the hottest of buttons uh, when I was in you know middle school, high school was uh, was instrumental music. You know that's that seemingly was what every congregation was fighting about is you know whether or not you should worship with instruments or not. And even today, you've got guys that would say um, that. That, that that is not one of the standards, right? That that is a, uh, a matter of opinion. Uh, and, you know, that's a conversation for, for a whole nother time, a whole different podcast maybe. But um, I think that's what we argue mostly about now is, is where do we separate matters of, of faith, Josh, as you kind of mentioned, versus matters of opinion. Um, and then is there a willingness to not only differentiate those two, um, but to embrace this idea of agreeing to disagree, because I, I think that becomes kind of the issue. I don't want us to get so caught up in, in, because I think there could be a tendency to either agree to disagree on all of it, whether it matters or not, um, or you have to agree with me on all of it, whether it matters or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, to Sean's point, you know, I, I, and to your point too, I think that there are matters that, Obviously, if there is disagreement based on the text of Scripture, then we need to break ties with those who would, you know, argue for one thing, or if it's not to be argued for, they would argue against or whatever. But sure. you know, for for me, as I as I'm thinking about the context of the video, and particularly within a congregational setting, I'll give you a couple of examples in the recent past that I've seen firsthand, and I won't say where; I'll just say I've seen them firsthand. One is, are we going to go back to passing trays or are we going to keep using individual communion kits? My view of that is, who the heck cares? It's bread and juice and it represents the body and blood of Christ, whether you pass it or get it from a basket as you come in the auditorium. But second, you know, is uh, are we going to incorporate newer, let's say like youth groupy type songs uh, more contemporary songs into the worship service, or are we going to keep singing hymns from the 1400s? And, you know, people get really upset at that. 
Um, if you if you introduce new songs that nobody knows, people get really upset. But if you don't, then people also get really upset. Now, again, to kind of boil the matter down, the emphasis is on singing in order to praise and worship God, right? Uh, but it's a matter of, it's not a matter of is this godly or ungodly. It's just a matter of opinion as yeah. to what would be the best mode. And in some cases, so let's let's take the songs, for example. If you have a congregation predominantly of younger families that are <clears throat> familiar with those and they worship well with the newer songs, fine. That's a good mode to use. Uh, if you're in a congregation where most everyone knows the hymns and wants to be part of singing those hymns so they can worship effectively, that's what you need to do as a worship leader, right? Is to know your congregation and know how they best worship so that God can be honored in the best way possible. So these these matters of opinion that don't amount to like agreeing to, to disagree as to what you do, the, there's a deeper issue there. And the deeper issue is, are we letting these matters impact how we serve God? And if Absolutely. we are, then there's something wrong, right? Well, and, and Joshua, to that point, I want to bring this up because I think it fits in here really, really well. Um, I don't want anybody to make the, the, cause this is not a, I hope that this isn't a podcast where somebody walks away and thinks that all we did was say, well, you shouldn't agree to disagree, right? That everything matters to the point where you need to be able to come up with some sort of answer. That's not necessarily true. Uh, and, and Joshua, you said is, <clears throat> I think it, it sums it up really beautifully is this idea of, is that is is it impacting our ability to, to serve God and, and what he wants us to do? And so when I was getting ready for this, one of the first things that I kind of thought about and you we might be able to agree, disagree on whether or not this is agreeing to disagree. But one of the first things I thought about was uh, the dispute that Paul and Barnabas had uh, in, in Acts chapter uh, 15, I believe it is. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, Barnabas wants to bring along this this kid named John Mark, and Paul doesn't. And, you know, there's enough of a dispute there where, uh, yeah, it's Acts chapter 15, starting verse 36 there. There's enough of a dispute there where Paul and Barnabas say, you know what, I'm going to, we're, we're going to agree to disagree, and we're going to go our separate ways. But one of the things I think is interesting is, is that the goal that they set out to accomplish was still accomplished, right? Like they still, they went their separate ways, but they still did the work that needed to <coughs> And nothing was the, the word of God wasn't compromised. Uh, there wasn't a a harsh, bitter feeling there because later in Paul's letters, he's going to refer to John Mark on several occasions as somebody who is useful in ministry. Uh, I think it's in First Peter. He actually refers to John Mark as his son. Uh, and so <clears throat> clearly this wasn't something that that tore apart a relationship, but it was a, a pretty essential moment and a pretty significant moment in, in Paul and Barnabas's ministry where they just agreed to disagree and they went their separate ways. Uh, and so, you know, not to swing that too far in the other direction where we should just agree to disagree, go our separate ways, do our own thing and everything will be fine. But differentiating, uh, to go back to, again, that standard, differentiating the things that do matter and the things that don't matter uh, and being wise enough and then and then confident enough to, to separate those and do what you need to do, I think, is, is crucial um, to to the way the church operates. Yeah, I don't want to dominate the conversation at all, but I, I remember when I started in full time ministry, um, 
all of us have had older ministers who have poured into us and given us nuggets of wisdom that we take with us. And uh, this one has just stuck with me more than any other. And it, it was a, a minister told me, when you work under an eldership, you have to submit to your eldership, but submission doesn't always mean agreeing. And True. that that really stuck with me because there's been things that, you know, elderships have decided that I do not like. Now, is it detrimental to salvation? Is it against the word of God? No, it might be something like changing the service times. You know, I may not like it, but I'm still required to submit to it. Right. So I think uh, I think that's kind of a, a key point to make that that is we think about what we can uh, what we must agree on and what we can have differences of opinion on. Um, there are levels to yeah. to what we can and can't disagree, uh, agree and disagree on. Uh, and, and lest anybody thinks that we're trying to bypass the question, the standard by which we judge all of this is the word of God. Right. Like, sure. I mean, this is and again, or the, the word of God and the principles that are set within. Uh, and I, I say that term loosely uh, because I want us to I don't want to I don't want to leave anybody mis, mistaking that, that the Bible has a yes or no answer for every question that they may or may not have, uh, especially from a moral standpoint. Um, you know, we we might have even mentioned it on here before, Joshua, but the, the conversation uh, came up when when I was uh, in college. One of the big conversations that came up is should Christians uh, it, should Christians refuse the use of miracle marijuana uh, miracle marijuana me- medical marijuana? Whoa! Yeah, that miracle medical, marijuana, you know that stuff. Whatever I'm on uh, to to help ease pain in end of life care situations, and there were a lot of different debates about that. Well, that's a question. That you can't go to the Bible and find a yes or no answer for it, right? I mean, like that just, it wasn't a concept that they would have talked about. So in those instances, maybe you look for some of the principles uh, that the Bible teaches us as opposed to the actual yes or no's. But the, the standard is the Word of God, and that's what we always base that standard on. Uh, and so I want to be clear that that we're not, the, you know, the Sean mentioned this idea of the, the banner of truth in the background, right? There, there's a, the standard of truth is what it is. Uh, and no amount of, no amount of mental gymnastics or, or my disliking of it is going to affect or change that. <clears throat> Sean, you got anything to add? I'm just, you don't have to. I'm just curious. No, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys were saying. I, don't have any qualms with it. So, so, well, okay. So this kind of, maybe we want to kickstart this conversation too, then Um, because the, the point that he's making, and this is kind of our, uh, the second half of this conversation, right? Is can we agree to disagree? Should we agree to disagree? Where do we draw that line into here's his explanation is here's why we need to learn how to agree to disagree. Uh, and essentially what he says is the reason that the church needs to agree to disagree is because if we are infighting, if we are divided, if we are not unified in the things that we believe and profess, what does that look like to how he refers to them as the unchurch? How does that look like to the world? Uh, and, and I've I've offered that same sentiment to, to our members here at Troy. Uh, you know, how do you talk about where you worship? Does the way you talk about where you worship make people want to come visit or make people want to 
stay away. Uh, and so he offers this idea that when you're infighting and when you're divided, when you're not agreeing to disagree, you're not offering any incentive, which I wasn't a fan of the, the language that he used there. Uh, when he says you're not offering any incentive for people to to come to to church with you, um, and, and I guess that's a that that's a matter of opinion, right? I, it's just one of those like, do we really offer incentives? Uh, you know, that makes it sound like you're getting kickbacks or something for going to worship, but um, but it was one of those deals that, you know, uh, this is what it looks like. Uh, and so I guess I'll open this one up to Sean first. How does infighting within the church, in your opinion, how does infighting within the church not only affect the reputation of the church, um, but again, I, well, okay, let's just start with that. I'll have a follow-up question here in a minute. But how, how does infighting within the church, that disunity, how does that affect the reputation of the church? And then should it be something that we're concerned about? I'll, I'll phrase it that way. I mean, I think it, it definitely can um can and probably does in a lot of ways have have an impact on that reputation um i mean think about this what kind of church would you guys want to go worship at would you want to go worship at a corinth where you know you've got four or five different factions all all thinking they're right all trying to to get ahead of the others or do you want to go worship at another church like i don't know maybe in in philippi where, you know, while they still may have, you know, problems at times that get addressed, but, you know, largely that I at least get the impression that's a very loving, unified congregation. Um, you know, I, I'd i want to go to Philippi personally. Um, you I wouldn't careful. want to go worship in Corinth. Yeah. So you got to be careful when you ask questions like that to guys you don't know, because Joshua kind of enjoys the chaos. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I mean, obviously, as a minister, you know, um, you know, you may want to go to to that work and, and see if you can help, see if you can do anything like that. Um, or maybe you're just crazy and like chaos. I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> but I think I think most people would like to go to a unified church, a church that, um, you know, doesn't bicker about things like that um, and is not divided um, around concerning matters of, of opinion. Um, there's a church I, I know of. I won't I won't throw the name out there for their sake, but pre-COVID, I think they had maybe 150, 200 members. During COVID, they actually had a massive split because about half of them thought we need to be wearing masks when we worship. The other half said we don't. Um, and they split right down the middle for that. And after that, they had about half their remaining members slowly trickled out because they didn't like the way it was handled. Mm. Um I don't think they've had any new members since because I mean, they're, they're not a very, um, the, the remaining 20 or 30 people they're I mean, I would say they're fairly unified now. Um, but I mean, they've kind of got that reputation now because of the way things were done there. Um, and whether or not that was their fault, I'm not sure I wasn't around for that. I've just heard the, you know, the stories since then, but I mean, I think it, it's absolutely true. There's, you've got to think about your reputation. Now, you don't want to sacrifice truth at the expense of your reputation, obviously. Um, you know, but if it's matters of doctrine, you want to try to be as unified uh, as you can. And I think about, um, you know, the first couple of verses of Ephesians chapter four that talks about being diligent to uh, preserve the unity of the body. 
um, and all the ways you can do that. And I want to say, quoting off the top of my head, paraphrasing, I guess, um, humility, humility, love, and long suffering, I believe is, are the, the three things listed there. Um, and sometimes, you know, you got to get over yourself in matters of, of opinion. You got to be willing to, to not get your way every time. Um, you know, take it back to that example of the church I gave. If I really think we should not wear masks because I think they're stupid, but the church decides as a whole, we're going to wear masks when we worship. I mean, you know, I got to get over myself a little bit um, and, and some things like that. So. No, I'm, I'm just messing with you there. I think most people would definitely want to go to a place like Philippi as opposed to Corinth. Um, <clears throat> but I, I do think I think it's a good illustration there, too, because I think that there is something to be said there for Paul's letter to the court to the Corinthians um, in the sense is, you know, early on in that letter. Uh, and again, now there there is a, a bit of a difference there, right, because Paul is addressing uh, a pretty significant matter of sal- you know, salvific state, not necessarily a matter of opinion uh, when he starts talking about sexual morality at Corinth. But, you know, he says that, you know, he, he addresses that topic that, you know, your reputation is being really kind of destroyed mm-hmm. because of your willingness to do some of these things. So th- there's a sexual immorality among you that that not even the Gentiles, like not even the bad and I hate to use that term, but I mean, to kind of not even the heathen agree with what you're doing and you're supposed to be the church, right? You're supposed to be the set apart and you're doing stuff that even the world says it disapproves of. So I do think that there's there's absolutely merit to be had for uh, the, the reputation that the church has and, and the concern that we should have for it. Um, Joshua, what do you think? Well, everyone knows churches that split. You know, if, if there's a if there's a church split, it's going to be found out in the religious community. So um, w- when a visitor comes, whether they're churched or unchurched, let's say, you know, if they come to a building that can hold 400 people and there's 100 people there, they know something's wrong, you know. And and not that, it, you know, it's, it's like what uh, what Peter says in the chronicles of narnia he says you know um, there's so many and there's they're talking about the the enemy and he says there's so many and then the the other guy says well numbers don't win a battle he said well i bet they help so (laughs) i mean it's kind of like that when you go to a church if you walk in a building and you see a hundred people in in a auditorium that seats 400 you you can tell something's going on on the other hand you can go into a building and see a building that seats a hundred that has 200 people in it. And you, it may not be for the right reasons, but the general consensus at the beginning would be that something good is going on here. Whether that's true or not remains to be found out, but it's, it's also, you know, talking about the, the, the example of the congregation that Sean brought up. And I, I hope that, you know, if there's, uh, again, I don't know who this congregation is. Don't want to drop names of course, but, Let's just take that as an example. It seems to me that what the church lacks in matters of unity can all or almost all be pointed at its leadership. A good leader keeps its people unified. And with matters of like masks, for example, people say, well, I'm not going to wear a mask, so I'm leaving. Well, right there is an unwillingness to submit to a decision that a group of elders likely made. 
for the protection and safety. And I'm not for or against masks. I'm just using it as a illustration. Sure. You know, there, there's a, there was a decision that was made that was thought about with the best intentions in mind. And then people were unwilling to submit to that. Um, maybe that's a reflection of, let, let's say that's, that might be a reflection of their hardness of heart. It might be a reflection of the leader's inability to lead over the, the congregation. You know, it, it, and it might be something completely different, but I really think that what the church needs today more than anything is better spiritual leadership from our elders. Um, what we've done is we've given the elders job to the preacher. We've given the deacons job to the elders and the deacons now are nothing more than people who set up tables for a fellowship meal. And that's not biblical. Not at all. I definitely think that there's, uh, you know, I definitely think the reputation of, of the church is affected uh, when when you have infighting uh, and when you have things of that nature, um, and it is a big deal. And so, so my follow up question to that conversation is is one that I'm not going to say is going to get me in trouble, uh, but it's one that that I have echoed before that might be deemed a little bit unpopular, um, but there's a tendency, at least what I, at least what I observed, right, growing up in the church, I, I stole that line from Joshua a while back. It's one of my favorites is, you know, I've been doing this church thing for a long time. Uh, you know, I was, I was born and raised going to church, you know, as soon as I was allowed to, I was, I was there and, you know, I've been ever since. And so some people might say that's indoctrination, but, you know, for me, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, I figured it out on my own eventually. Um, but, uh, and I'm still doing it. So, uh, but I think that there is a tendency for the church to to might drift into the mentality, especially in the realm of this topic. Right. Um, you know, and you go, well, what does it look like to the world if we're fighting amongst ourselves? I think there's a tendency for the church to go, well, who cares what the world thinks about us? We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And that's all that matters. Uh, and and my opinion, this is my opinion. Right. Maybe we can agree to disagree. I think the church ought to care significantly more than I think it does about what the world thinks of us. Now, the the asterisk next to that is I am unwilling to compromise or water down the gospel in order to make it more appealing to the world. But I think that the church should absolutely care about what the world thinks of it. And if the world thinks poorly of it because of the truth, that's different than them thinking poorly of it because of how it behaves. Does that make sense? Yeah. So agree to disagree with me on that one. But I, I think there's a tendency for the church to go, well, as long as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, who cares what everybody thinks of us? And that can be true. But how often is it that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing is why maybe the unchurched, as the video says, thinks poorly of us. I think more often than not, um, if a church has a reputation for not being welcoming, not being unified, you know, whatever it is, um, I think more often than not, it's probably not because they're doing things right. It's probably not because they're teaching truth. It's probably because they're, you know, teaching matters of opinion as matters of doctrine and dividing over that. Um, if you have a reputation around town for being the church, that's just, you know, a bunch of 
you know, pharisaical Christians, I guess, might be a good way of putting it, where you're, you know, it's, this is the way it is. We're going to have carpet that is the blood of Jesus red, because we've always had it that way. We're never going to change it. Um, you know, if, if you've got that reputation, you should at least, at the very least, ask, did we do something wrong to get that reputation? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you you did nothing wrong. Maybe maybe you're perfectly innocent. If that's the case, then yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. But you should honestly ask, did we do something to get this reputation? Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think that there are presuppositions that come with everything. So I'll give a quick example. I work part time as an auctioneer, and when people find that out, they have a presupposition of that profession. It's the we're the people that sell junk for thousands of dollars. But once we explain what the profession is, that it's actually an industry, that it's a marketing uh, industry, you have to be multifaceted and all kinds of things like writing contracts and facilitating deals and handling large sums of money, product knowledge, things like that. People kind of humble themselves uh, when they find that out. And I think the same is true for those who aren't Christians looking at Christians. You know, they look at Christians like, you're self-righteous. You think you know everything. You think you have all the answers. You don't know my struggle. And then we sit down and talk with them and they're like, oh, hey, you're a person just like me. Only when bad things happen or life happens, you are you don't have the same response I do because you have hope. Uh, that's one of the fundamental differences, I think, between those of us in Christ and those who are out of Christ. And so w- when we do that, first of all, it's an opportunity for evangelism. But second of all, it's an opportunity for them to see Christianity or Christians for who we truly are. And and that's a huge difference, I think. Yeah. I really like what you said there. You know, when we get a chance to sit down and talk with them, I think that's often the step that is, can make or break, you know, whether or not this reputation that you have that may or may not be your fault. You may have done nothing wrong to get this, you know, that may make or break the difference between having a relationship with this person or not. Um, And obviously at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to do anything that, let me put it this way. God's not going to let my actions take away someone else's salvation. Um, You know, I might, I might make their life very difficult with my actions. I might, you know, if, if someone comes up to my church and I treat them very poorly and I don't sit down and, and give them that explanation. It may make it harder for them to to come worship with us. It may make them hard, make it harder for them to someday find the gospel. But I think God will will get around me. I don't think I'm big enough to get in God's way. But I still don't want to be guilty of making making it harder than it needs to be. I don't want to be guilty of of getting in God's way and working against Him. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. No, I, I agree with both of you. I think it's unfortunate, though, that the step that both of you guys have mentioned, that sitting down and talking to each other, I think it's unfortunate that that seems to be the biggest step that's missed um, or the one that's missed the most frequently. Uh, I mean, even not necessarily just from church to unchurched, but even within the denominations that exist within the Christian realm. Um, you know, I, I used to tell uh, tell high school kids all the time, we would, uh, you know, learn about other other faiths. Uh, and uh, I used to tell my, my kids, you know, I, I'm giving you this sort of stuff as a guide. Because when I was growing up, I remember being taught what my friends believed. 
right? I don't know if either of you guys sat through a class like that when you were in high school, but it was, uh, here's what all your Baptist friends believe. Here's what all your Catholic friends believe. Here's what all your Methodist friends believe. Here's what all your Pentecostal friends believe. Uh, and so I'm at a point to tell all my high school kids, look, this is a general outline of what the the Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal faith kind of includes. Um, but make sure you ask your friends what they believe. Because I remember never having those conversations. And so every time I entered a conversation, it began with presuppositions as this person that I'm talking to believes this, 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 and this. Uh, and, and whereas there's, and what happens when you do that, I'm sure you guys know this, um, is when you begin a conversation of presuppositions, communication breaks down very quickly because you didn't define terms. You didn't ask where that foundation, foundational piece is. And so I think that there's a, a learning point here that yes, the church should care uh, what what people think of it, but I think that there should be a willingness to engage in conversation to understand the other person that you're talking to, but also maybe to clarify some of your actual positions. Uh, I think it's really easy for the church to get caught up and for Christians in general to get caught up in the concept of, well, you know, Jesus said that if the world hates us, it's because it actually hates him and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, but I, I remember watching a video several years ago, and I've used this before, uh, either on this podcast or in a sermon or something. But I, I saw a video a couple of years ago where everybody was wondering why why deconstruction was becoming such a popular idea, right? Why were people leaving the church? And a guy asked a question I thought was really interesting. And he said, you know, what if the church isn't being oppressed, right? What if people aren't attacking the church? What if the church is actually just being audited? What if people are taking a closer look at Christians and are finding out, hey, you're saying a lot of this and you're living a lot of something else? And that's driving people away from Christianity, which, again, may be a whole other conversation. But I think that that is an, a realm where Christians and the church as a whole should significantly care about what the world thinks of them. Now, and again, if it's I'm going to stand on this, this, and this, and I live out this, this, and this, and somebody goes, not for me, and they reject you because of that, that's one thing. But if you're being audited and people are finding out that maybe you're not living the same things that you profess, uh, and it's not like a, it's not a Paul scenario. And I say that, I mean, it's not like a, you know, these are the things I want to do, but I do the things I don't want to do, but I'm really trying to do things that I want to do. It's not one of those. It's no, it's, it's a different set of rules for you versus me. And when people see that, that paints the church in a, in a significantly negative view. Uh, and so I think that's, that's an important distinction to make. And, and a lot of where maybe, and I think that's a point, I guess a, a point that I want to make is a lot of the presuppositions that people have about Christians, whether you earned them or not, are not all the time unfairly earned either. Uh, so, and I think that if we cared more about maybe putting forth that reputation, there wouldn't be as many misconceptions about who Christians are. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's important. To, well, I think it's important to remember: um, no one is one hundred percent wrong one hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. And so, I think there is going back to your discussion of teaching about different faith traditions, different uh, Christian. Uh, denominational beliefs and doctrines and things like that. You know, I am not a, I don't adhere to the five points of Calvinism, but all of those five points have some grain of biblical truth. I think they overstep biblical truth insofar as they are put into practice, 
but you know they, there is biblical truth in all of those. So you know, no no one's one hundred percent wrong one hundred percent of the time. And if we sit down and talk to people and let the and we ask questions and let the Bible do the answering, I think that's the best way to go about it. But I, I think too, there's a really good example of how what we've been talking about was put in practice. Um, if, have you guys seen the debate that Doug Burleson had with, I can't remember this guy's name, but he was a professor at Florida College, uh, and it was over the, the use of funds uh, and, and benevolence work and supporting children's homes and things like that uh, from the treasury of the local congregation rather than from individuals. Uh, themselves. So what what Dr. Burleson was arguing was it's okay for a local congregation to have in their budget to give money to children's homes, to give money to benevolent work and things like that. And this other gentleman, I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name. See his face plain as day, but can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, he was arguing that no, that's something that's given to the individual for that individual to do, um, but not from the funds of the local congregation. Both of these men are members of the Lord's church. Both of these men are faithful Christians. And I think, so far as I could tell by watching the video, that both of these men would fellowship each other. I know Dr. Burleson would fellowship this other guy. I'm not so sure that the other guy would fellowship Dr. Burleson, but that's that's for them to decide, not for me to decide. Is the guy's name Kyle Pope? I don't I really don't remember. I, it has uh, Kyle, Pope really, and, yeah, Kyle really Pope and Doug Burleson debated on institutionalism. There you go. Yep. Right. Right. Um, but they were able to sit down and go to scripture and have a good conversation about it. And no one got upset. No one yelled. And they left that conversation, you know, with having done what they set out to do. Um, I don't think either one of them changed the other's mind. Sure. So it, that that I think is an agree to disagree moment uh, that was yeah. done right. For anybody that's uh, interested in that, just so you're aware, that was put on by the Olson Park Church of Christ, and you can actually go watch the entire debate on YouTube. And it's well uh, worth just watching. Yeah, uh, Burleson. Yeah, Christian Benevolence and Institutions. Pope Burleson. Yep. That's all you got to search. It'll it'll show up right there. But uh, I kind of want to wrap up this conversation, guys, with, with one more one more question because I think it, it again one the video referenced it and two it, it really puts into play another layer of this conversation when you talk about agreeing to disagreeing and the reputation of the church and what people think of us. There's also the concept of if we care about what people think of us. A lot of that to me is tied to what we think of those outside of Christ, right? Maybe we don't care what people outside of Christ thinks of us because we don't care about those outside of Christ, right? That we're concerned with our personal salvation as long as I'm doing what I need to do. And as long as, you know, maybe my my spouse or my kids are, are good, quote unquote, um, then I don't really need to worry about those who are outside of Christ. Because the point that he makes in the video is the reason we need to stop fighting is so people understand what the church is and therefore they're motivated to come to the church. Does that make sense? And so I guess that, that last kind of layer of this is how do we really view people who are outside of Christ? Um, and I don't like the terminology. Like I'll just be, I'll be really upfront. I hate the terminology he uses. I know that he's clearly a sports guy with the Dallas Cowboy T-shirt. Uh, he looks like he's probably a former athlete. I mean, if you just watch him, like he's he's a pretty well-built dude. Um, 
but I really hate this the the idea of free agency uh, because that makes it sound like. And again, I know there are people out there that are kind of looking and seeking and trying to figure out where they fit. Uh, but free agency makes it sound like, hey, we're going to you know we'll offer you this amount versus that amount. Uh, you know, we'll give you bonuses. We'll do this for you. And, and I don't think that's how the church is supposed to operate. And again, I know it's an illustration. Um, you know, it's an imperfect illustration, as all illustrations are. But uh, I do think that there's a, a do we do we view people as free agents to try to bring in and pad our numbers? Uh, do we view them as a lost cause? Do we view them as souls that God intended to be saved? Uh, and I think there's a there's a layer of that conversation that that might be missing in the context of the video, but ultimately is is the path the the path that I think he's trying to get to. Yeah. Well, so Josh, I, I, let me let me ask. I'm going to ask you both this. I'm going to let you both answer. How not should, but I'm going to say how does the church view those outside of Christ, and then how should the church view those outside of Christ? And if you think they're the same, you can explain why you think they're the same. But I'm just, I want the the should, because again, we talk a lot. If, you, if you've ever taught a Bible class, you understand this. When you ask somebody, how do we do something? They will generally respond with how should we do something? Not necessarily how do we? So if you think they're the same, by all means, uh, you know, go for that. But uh, I'm curious as to how should we view and how do we view? Uh, whoever wants to start. Uh, Sorry, I said that's an interesting question. I I, I brought it up with ten minutes to go. <laughs> I think the church in my general area. I'll just I tell you what I'll just speak for our local congregation. I think we view those who are not members of the church or those who are outside of Christ. As I think we view them as needing to be in Christ, but I I think the the deeper issue is we do not view that as something we have a responsibility for. Uh, we don't we don't take responsibility for bringing people into Christ and for bringing you know for for teaching them the gospel. And we also I think have a general view that inviting people to church is the same as teaching them about Christ, and it's not. Um, mm -hmm. but I highly encourage people to bring people to church, but I have not known many people who are unchurched, who come to a worship service and come to faith because they came to the worship service. Uh, it's usually through personal relationships and, and personal study that that happens, at, at least traditionally. How should we view those who are outside of Christ? Well, we have to view them as lost and uh, kind of like a, like a person who's fallen into the ocean and is drowning. You know, they're, they're helpless, they're dying. And it's, it's of the utmost urgency. It really is. So uh, if, if we had that attitude toward people, you know, people give the, the Jehovah's witness and the Mormons a really hard time because they go around on their missions, knocking on doors. But if we had just a 10th of that zeal, I mean, not saying we should go around, and knock on doors all the time, but, if we just had a tenth of that zeal, I think the Lord's church would be booming. I really do. Yeah. I, uh, you know, just kind of from watching his video, and I mean, I, I'm not necessarily speaking for him because um, I can't do that. 
but the way he talked about, you know, wanting to incentivize people to get in and stuff like that, um, maybe not him, but I think at times others maybe can kind of get an attitude when we do that of we just need to get them in the building. We just need to get get them in a pew. And while that's definitely, you know, we should want them to, to be worshiping somewhere, you know, if I don't care if they come worship with us or if they worship with another church that is doing things, you know, biblically as well. I just want them saved. At least that's how we should act, I guess. That's the second part of the question. You know, we should look at them as, as they're just a soul. We just want them saved. I like what you said, Joshua, about how, you know, a lot of times that doesn't come from them getting in a pew. That comes from a relationship with them. And I think that's absolutely right. And when we when we view someone as, you know, just we just want a number, I, I think we, we tend to forget that. Another thing, too, sorry, we got a couple minutes left. Oh, you're good. Um, we'll go as long as you want to. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I think can kind of play into that sometimes, I think sometimes it's almost a regional type thing. Um, I, I I feel I can say that because I'm not from this region, but I have spent, let's see, I spent three years in Arkansas and now about six months here, um, not to equate Tennessee with Arkansas. They're That's vastly the, different. The, the, the you get in trouble if you do that. Doing that yeah. um, but in general, parts of the South, I feel like, especially churches in the South, we've kind of taken for granted that everyone is at least some to some degree affiliated with Christianity. And so we, we lose that aspect of, you know, these are lost souls that need saved, and we can kind of get into a numbers game. If you go back West where – you know, not a lot of people are Christians. One thing that's cool is church politics kind of disappear out there, or they tend to in some areas. Um, you don't have as many divisions over matters of of opinion and things like that. Um, because I, I think largely because people view others as, as souls that need saved. And, you know, they're just ecstatic when they come to Christ. They, they don't really care whether or not they agree over, you know, the color of the carpet or anything, they just want Christians. They want a strong church. Um, and so I, I think, you know, those are kind of my thoughts on it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that there is absolutely a tendency if you were to ask people, and I, like I said, not speaking of any particular congregation, um, but but I think there's absolutely a tendency for, for people, the church to look at those who are outside of Christ and go, yeah, those people definitely need Jesus. Um, but what I have found is, is we'll acknowledge the need for, but there's an, there seems to be a level of unwillingness to do what needs to be done to try to engage that person. And it's through a, a variety of different ways. It was kind of funny, Sean, you mentioned this idea of like not incentivizing people, which I agree with. Um, and I don't like it yet at the same time, I have to acknowledge the fact that there are ways that the church often incentivizes people. Uh, like for example, um, you know, we are more willing to invite somebody to a, a fellowship meal as opposed to just a regular worship service, because that's less, you know, at least this way you get fed if you show up to church with me. Right. Uh, which, you know, is fun. I know why we do that sort of stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that there's there's oftentimes an unwillingness for people to engage those that they're close with, which is really kind of a shame uh, because Barna, Barna Group uh, has done research on this and has found that that 80 percent of those that they've polled 
um, would be willing to attend worship services with a close friend who invited them. Uh, and I think that that's really telling about a lot of people. Um, but I, I think that the church has in a lot of ways said, no, they need Jesus, but we've been unwilling to take steps toward maybe showing Jesus to them. Uh, and I think that that's, that's unfortunate. Um, now, as far as what we should do, uh, I, I always go back to, I guess I first heard it from, uh, from our mutual friend, Corey. Um, I don't know where he first heard it from, but, uh, the uh, the concept of think souls that uh, you know every every time that you interact with somebody uh, is is a chance for you to make an impact on a soul who was created the same way that you were created in the image of God who is love I've said this before on on numerous numerous occasions that I don't think Christians need to get into the mindset of assuming that God loves them more than somebody else uh, now it's possible for you to please God more than somebody else. Uh, it's possible for you to live a more Christ-like way than somebody else. But to say that your soul has more value on it in the face of God than somebody else's is just not correct. Uh, and so when we view people as lost souls and we genuinely take that to heart and we genuinely care about somebody's spiritual condition in that way, I think it makes a massive difference in the way that we treat them. Uh, and the way that we talk to them. And so I think that there's a there's definitely an acknowledgement that there's a need, but an unwillingness to to go that extra step and to do that extra thing. Uh, there's a there's a congregation in Michigan who implemented a system, which I found to be really interesting because both of you have kind of hit on this, but the the system that they came up with, the philosophy was uh, bringers, teachers, and keepers. Uh, that that every single member of the congregation falls into one of those three categories. Not everybody's going to fall into all three. Uh, not everybody's going to fall into more than one. And the, the philosophy was is that you have some people that are really good at bringing people in, building relationships, inviting people to church, making sure that they can get to the places that they need to be. The teachers are the ones whose responsibility it is to really teach them the word. Uh, and, and the philosophy behind that was, is quite frankly, maybe there are members of your congregation that you don't think need to be holding tent revivals in their backyard because you're not 100% sure that they may or may not be teaching what's actually biblically accurate. Uh, and then that third part of, uh, of that system was those who are keepers, those who are going to, and this is the part that we miss a lot of times. So I don't want to like get derailed and, and you know, just kind of go off on a whole other rabbit hole. But this idea of the church continuing to invest in those who have been brought to Christ so that they continue to see their value and they continue to see uh, what they can offer the body as a whole is really important too. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a mentality that we need to have, uh, that we need to bring people to Christ. We need to teach them who he is, and then we need to keep them there. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's, Joshua, you made the comment earlier on about the, you know, strong biblical leadership is what the church needs. Well, you know, a lot of that is because we're not bringing people in who have the potential to be strong biblical leaders, uh, you know, and not not as a recruiting effort for the church, so to speak, but as adding people to the body of Christ. There are a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus who, if they did, would be phenomenal leaders in the church. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so how the church views those people is significant, uh, not just for the church's collective health, but for the mission that, that God gave us to accomplish uh, or participate in, right? Um, so those, those, those are my thoughts. But, uh, but anyway, but guys, I, 
great conversation. You guys have anything else? I mean, by all means, last final comments, words, hopes, dreams, dances, emotional outbursts. Anybody? No? Okay. Well, well, guys, I have uh, significantly enjoyed the conversation. Uh, it has been great. Sean, again, thank you so much for, for being on. Uh, if you're ever in the, the West Tennessee area, I thought it was funny Sean pointed that out. I actually missed the banner in the back, but uh, we actually are about to hang a banner this week. Uh, on our theme of the year. If you're ever in the uh, O'Brien County or West Tennessee area, you want to come swing by the Troy Church of Christ, we'd love to have you for you to worship with us. Our theme this year is Seek Truth. So I thought that was that was rather fitting for that. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, uh, specifically around Murfreesboro, the Salem Creek Church of Christ uh, is open every every day. Josh was there every day. Every day. Uh, but they worship on, on Sundays and Wednesdays. But we would love to have you. As always, if you've got videos you want us to talk about or to, to look at, just send those uh, our way. We'd be more than happy to address some of uh, some of the things that you're interested in hearing about, as opposed to just whatever Joshua and I find and go, this is really interesting. We should talk about this. Uh, but uh, definitely be sure to reach out to us. We're not that hard to find. Sean, again, thank you so much for, for being on. Joshua, you got anything else? Nothing at all? I'm good, brother. All right, man. Well, until next time, we'll see you guys.